hanging out with Jake, and it, this is an important one because I feel terrible about my. Uh, I mean, this is a one-sided relationship at this point. Like, I don't. Jake has no idea. But uh, you know, we have a mutual friend, Mike Keegan, who's been on the show like fucking three or four times. Yeah. And um, oh man, when did the Alamo move to California? It will San Francisco. December 2015. 15. It opened with The Force Awakens. That's right. Yep, yep, and, yep. you know, Jake, out here, we we had kind of like a thriving independent theater culture. And mm. when you're like elitist independent fans like we all are here, and then the Alamo came to town, it was like, what the fuck? Is this going to be like the corporate monster? Is this going to crush like the Roxy? And uh, I, I believe at the time, do we still? No, I think everything... Nothing new went away, but we were just worried about like all the little satellite theaters out there that were running independently. And then right. I, we had a unique experience, especially with Mike Keegan, where, um, Oksana, did you say, say hi to, Hello. we went to, um, hey. the Balboa for a screening of, it was the Roxy. Um, oh, so it was a Roxy. Yeah. I can't remember the name I think of it. It was night feeder. It was, it was night wrong. feeder. Oh, and right we on. went in there. And uh, Keegan was hosting it. And we didn't know at the time that he was going to be the program director at the Alamo. But he he knew who we were. And he greeted us and was just like, hey, I'm glad you all came out here. Y'all from the Overlook. And we're like, who the hell? But like, that was like a little independent San Francisco movie where mostly the, the audience was made of cast members. And it was it was a great experience. We were watching like uh, a film that normally wouldn't get this kind of attention or like love from somebody hosting the event. And then, you know, then we went to the first Terror Tuesday, which was that regional slasher movie, um, Don't Go in the Woods. Yeah. And it sold out. And me and Oksana, we're, we're brutally late to everything, which Clark will attest. Confirmed. To, and Randy will attest. <laughs> and uh, it's fashionably late when you ask us, but we got there that night and well, there was only one ticket available. And I'm like, Oksana, go. I'll chill down here in the beautiful bar. And then Mike came out. And he's like, no, no, we have some blocked off. Like, come in here. And he got us in there, and it, I don't know, it was like a VIP experience. And then I think for the next three years, we didn't miss a Terra Tuesday or a Weird Wednesday. That's awesome. He's and smart. He knows, <laughs> he knows who the right people are. Yeah, he could see a sucker a mile away. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and the, I mean, dude, Jake, we were buying, like, uh, the dude who did our art, um, the gross uncle, uh, Grant, we've had him on the show, too, but we were buying him a ticket every week. It was cheap. What the hell was the... Terra Tuesday price originally like five bucks. Yeah, yeah it was just five, five bucks. bucks. Yeah, yeah, and what? Yeah, we were bringing two people. We were paying for him to come, and we had our little area. And then I remember when uh, Mike left. I remember just being like, you know, I'm not going to stop coming. But then I did, and it wasn't like articulated or thought out. And then uh, we saw the the new program director. I remember talking to Mike on the show. And I'm like, what's up with that dude? And he's like, oh, dude, Jake, he's fucking cool. He's like, you guys haven't met him yet. You need to go like be friends with him because he he fits in here. And I I just remember him vouching for you and thinking, you know what? I'm going to. And then I never did. <laughs> so this is my long winded apology. And I, I really am excited to have an opportunity to just hang out with you today. Oh, well, thank you so much. And, and it's not one side. I mean, the being at New Mission. I'm sure Mike can attest to is a very dizzying experience <laughs> or was at the time. So I wish I, I wish I had when I was there in that spot had been more 
active and outreach, but it was a lot, <laughs> a lot to do going into a show. So I, I, I apologize for not being more, more forthright on my end too, but yeah, I'm just stoked to hang. I'm glad, just, just happy to talk about anything. And those, both of those series are near and dear to my heart too. So anyway, any way we can talk about foreign exploitation and that stuff, I'm super down. Mike's a great yeah. dude. So. Now, for the record, I, I am not included in that whole diatribe. <laughs> um, as I have been to, I think, one Terror Tuesday and one Weird Wednesday. Which really? ones? I went to Carrie when when there was like uh they had like the prom in the um in the bar. Okay. And I went uh the one weird Wednesday, one of the better decisions I've made. Freddie got fingered. Oh god. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> the movie's amazing. Oh, nice of you to chime in, Randy. <laughs> also, should we introduce ourselves? I feel like that's a bit on this show now. Yeah, uh, Jacob Clark, uh, we've met a couple times. I, I, I don't leave much of an impression, but that's better. <laughs> it's not true. Are you going to introduce me? Come on. And that's uh, Asshat <laughs> and Russell. Yeah, Jake, dude, it's long overdue. And I think... Part of the reason I was uh, suspicious of you was I heard you moved from Texas to come out here. That's true. And I, I did. Like, and now I'm going to add some more, even wilder. I was from Florida originally before moving to Texas. Oh, my man. So Where just, in Florida? Uh, Orla- uh, Lake Mary. It's 20 okay. minutes north of Orlando. Gotcha. Uh, so went to the Enzian a lot and went to, you know, went to the parks a lot, of course, as, if, as you do. But yeah, just full Manifest Destiny. So what is right. <laughs> what what is the Florida film scene like? Do they have like a strong independent culture? It's it's really strange. Um so I went to Florida so Florida State, I went to Florida State uh has an amazing film program. So they there do. are a lot of people that go through that. Um I think when I was trying to think the year after the year after I graduated, I know that Barry Jenkins like came to talk about he was between it was between moonlight and in medicine for melancholy i think he was still working on getting funding for moonlight came to present a bunch of stuff um yeah there's a strong film pipeline there but everyone just kind of it's a pipeline feeder system into los angeles uh for the most part uh but as far as independent stuff not really um you would think i mean there there is actually to get back there's a strong scene in miami again because of uh barry and um that's the uh, Borsch, the Borscht Film Festival. So there is, there is that, but that's kind of more tied to like the art bezel, like sort of larger like art scene. Um, Wait, the Borscht like, regional- Film Festival? The Borscht? Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. You guys ever heard of this? No, I know it's- Oksana's parents make Borscht. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's great. It's it's kind of it really is like kind of a fusion of like the art like art bezel scene in Miami too, but it's a lot of a ton of local filmmakers, uh, mostly shorts and like some features, but it's, it's cool. I never got a chance to go. We've heard really amazing things about it. Uh, I'm trying to think of other, but yeah, I mean, like, a lot of the, a lot of the tax incentives dried up too. Mm. So you didn't have a lot of, a lot of shoots in Florida, all that moved to Georgia, or moved to Louisiana. Yeah. Um, even in my time in Texas, there were a lot of things shooting in Austin that, that often left, uh, towards you know, Louisiana and Ohio and other states. So it's a long answer to your short question. Uh, Florida seems it's, it's not as cool as it was. There's no, like, there's no uh, Herschel Gordon Lewis or Doris Wishman just wandering around, like making stuff. It's not, it, it doesn't have that pipeline anymore. Unfortunately. Weird. You would think there would be some like 
zany independent filmmakers out there in Florida. Like I think, um, so we run a, uh, found footage film festival where everything's kind of like in world camera and we do like faux documentary Mm -hmm. and stuff. And during COVID we did an online edition and one of, uh, one of the weirder ones that I, uh, really enjoyed showing was the flower tapes, which felt like Florida man found footage film. Yeah. As he goes through like dating in a motel or something, it was like an Airbnb. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I just remember thinking like the backdrop is so unique in Florida. And it would be, I don't know, it just seems rich. Like, the only thing that comes to mind right now is Spring Breakers. And I'm like, why aren't there more? Uh, Vernon, Florida. Oh, well, Ver- Vernon, Florida is a unique landscape, though. Like, when oh. I think of that, I usually think of, like, Louisiana or something. It's got that very, like, swampy vibe. Yeah. Well, that's sure. the thing with Florida. I mean, just like California, you know, you've got northern, central, and south. Like, Florida's got three regions. North Florida is the south. You have the panhandle. It's kind of like Floribama. Uh, so you got, yeah. you know... Panama City Beach and all that stuff. Central Florida, that's Disney Disney Zone, but it's commuter zone, uh, suburbs, Tampa, Orlando, Daytona. Then you get to South Florida, and that's you know the Everglades, Miami-Dade, Key West. But then the best thing is the regions in between, <laughs> like in between those things, that's where all the weird shit happens. Like oh, that okay. is like the liminal space. Like that is the, the space between spaces, as John Hurt says in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's pretty much that's the weird zones of Florida, but Vernon, yeah, Vernon's north. There's, I mean, there's a lot of uh, and the Florida like exploitation movies in Florida are a, a deep, deep, deep cut of special stuff. Like again, like the George Bushman's period there, the Bush Gordon Lewis stuff. Um, anything that's related to uh, the Castro, like uh, Castro and uh, Cuba, uh, any of those like CIA backed, like sort of like uh, conspiracy thrillers in that era area are really fun. Um, yeah, pretty much. There's a lot of good, a lot of good Florida. Uh, Mr. No Legs is a really dope exploitation oh. movie. About, what is Mr. No Legs? Miami Connection. Oh, Miami Connection too. Uh, Mr. No Legs. It's a. Yeah. It is a uh, gangster movie where the main gangster has his main muscle is uh, a guy in a wheelchair who doesn't have. It's not like he lost his legs uh, in the war. Like he's, he's a real performer that didn't have that, but he has shotguns inside of his wheelchair. And he, has, he does like, throwing stars and shit. And he was a martial arts expert for someone that didn't have like a low. Yeah. We know, like, we know this hour. movie, dude. Justin, it's so good. Yeah. Russell, we, I think I, <laughs> you're yeah. talking to the mic. If I you're going to okay. watch this years ago with, um, when we used to do screenings or we scouted it when, uh, so Jake, several years ago, we had a, a barbecue at the house and we called it uh, Kung Fu barbecue. And, uh, we, we showed, you know, uh, you know, Miami Connection. What else did we show? Pocket Ninjas was a great one with Robert Zadar. <laughs> it's a children's film. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. That, that, we were doing those barbecues for a while as a total ripoff Alamo programming thing, too. Yeah. Because the whole thing was <laughs> I loved how they would, they would make a menu for the yeah. theater. And so that I just designed a menu. Yeah, and made me cook it. Yeah, and then he cooked it. At, yeah. What the well, fuck we- uh, the IP lawyers, the IP lawyers of food and movies are coming to your apartment right now. They're banging on the floor. <laughs> <That's> right. <laughs> They're not allowed to put food and movies together. Not in this so time. I don't think we, we watched oh, no, we, Legs, we made though. Now, I will tell you, we did have a couple. No, we, but I think we scouted it. How did we not land on that? I know. I think maybe we couldn't find it. I think that was it. Because remember, we couldn't there's find a, one movie. There's a, this, it's, it's, I think it's actually had a release like very recently, like in the past year okay. or so. So like one of those like Code Red uh, releases. Uh, 
Oh, Code Red's great. But I do remember, uh, so we did yeah. show Miami Connection, and one of the things, uh, one of the food offerings that we had was the uh, YK Kimchi Dog. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, the, the, and the Miami Disconnection Burger, which I think was um, a burger with uh, uh, Krispy Kreme donuts as the bun. Yeah, that That's everybody it. talked shit on, and then we served it, and everybody it home loved run. it. It was a home run. Yeah, that's the uh, that's the trick with that's the trick with uh, donut burgers. Yeah, yeah, you hate it when you see it, and you put it in your mouth, and you realize you made the right decision. Like that's the <laughs> this is what it is. Now, I also I um I remembered another Florida movie that's come into our uh, realm that we love. That I feel um, embarrassed to recommend to Jake, who's clearly a educated film programmer. But um, you got to get into the Blackwell Ghost franchise and get to the third oh. movie. Jake, are you familiar okay. with the Blackwell Ghost? I am not. Please tell me more. Okay. All right. So there's a a filmmaker. Uh, oh God, what's his name? Trevor Clay? Uh, not Trevor. It's some Tristan Tucker. I'm- Tucker Clay? Not Tucker. <laughs> Turner. Turner Clay. That's it. We, oh, we were going to get there. So Turner Clay. And uh, this guy is uh, originally from Kentucky and ha- is a filmmaker, but most of his films have been, uh, you know, low budget zombie movies. And mm-hmm. he decided that he wanted to make a documentary. Now, this is shot as a faux documentary. However, Turner Clay is really playing to the um, paranormal. To the, well, to the whole. Dare I say ARG aspect of this whole okay, situation? Sure. Uh, just because yeah. of uh, he's he's not breaking character. So the Facebook page he has um, people are interacting as if this is a real phenomenon that he has encountered. So the first two films actually take place in a home in outside of it within somewhere in Pennsylvania, um, and it's based upon this old tale of this old woman who had a boarding school and used to kill children and throw them down the well. And then, <laughs> and that's the first two movies. There are currently five Blackwell <laughs> I, ghosts. I love your, your breakdown of that film, by the way. I know we're getting, <laughs> so there are five Blackwell ghosts. The last three all take place in Florida at a, I, I love that house. It's like a, Three bedroom, fourteen hundred square foot place that's on the water. Uh, so I, I I don't know where in Florida this was, but the location's insane. It's kind of like if an Airbnb organically appeared out of nowhere, yeah. and you got in there, and its only goal on this earth was to like bore the people staying there, except that it was haunted <laughs> in like a. In a so the thing with the Blackwell Ghost is it's really are you familiar with all the like ghost adventure shows that are out on like travel? Oh yeah. So you know, um, uh, Ghost Adventures, that's the like pinnacle, like where Zach Baggins now has a museum permanently in uh in Las Vegas and drives a Ferrari and crap. That dude, (laughs) if he had like really kept himself to trying to convince people the shit was real instead of being possessed five times an episode. Uh, that's what the Blackwell ghost is. This dude doesn't crack. He doesn't do interviews with anybody and all the movies are like chronological and he involves his life in a way that only found footage film can do. And it's fascinating. 
it's it's good too because you can't i mean he can never jump the shark because if there's like an ending like paranormal activity would have everybody would be like okay it's fake so really you get a lot of stuff like in in the the florida wing of his movies the main um thing he runs into is knocking and it's terrifying it's it's so good and it, it this the franchise picks up when he gets to florida man jake I'm I'm glad you're you're here to sit down and hear this shit because the thing I loved with um the Alamo lobby was the energy we kind of bring from this podcast is uh we're a group of people who like the the way I met Randy, our engineer, was we were at working at a warehouse job with four hundred people in it. The reason me and Randy connected was because we started talking about Truffaut. And it was like but we were both kind of like laughing at it. We're like, how fucking lame is it that like you know, the two people that know who true Francis Truffaut are like, but then, you know, that pivots into like a love of genre film, but mm. man, our taste really, uh, we scraped the bottom of like Amazon prime and Tubi, which a lot of, lot love of Tubi. Okay, good. Absolutely love Tubi. The people's, the people's Republic of movies. Tubi That's, is the best. Hey, they're based out here. Have you ever talked to them? Uh, tried to have not been successful quite yet. But uh, I would love to know more about their their model. It's it's nuts. Yeah, it's just like if, if I have to watch, I can watch like a little bit. Of, if I get to watch what ten minutes ads that are in like random spots of the movie, so I can watch House of Wax. Great, done. Let's go. <laughs> now, are they random though? I feel like they're timed. Like I don't know. They they, they kind of are. Like I don't think it's as. I don't think it's like, you know, like old, like cable broadcasts that we'd find spots, I think, to do it. I think to be, I've had it happen in between, in the middle of a scene before, which oh, is frustrating. Yeah. I think it depends. I think it depends on if, you know, there's someone that's there that can look at the metadata and like figure out like a good spot um, for some movies. But for some, it's just 20 minute mark. Let's go. Like, it's, yeah, it mean, is kind of arbitrary. The shit we're watching, there's not a person there scanning for a good commercial <laughs> break, trying to keep the integrity of their, their film together. Well, that's my yeah, thing. Here's, here's my question. You go to the theater, they front load all the nonsense up top. You know, they, all the commercials, all the trailers. Yeah. Why can't we do that in streaming? Uh, because I think visual advertising has like shown like a reduction in returns like in a terrible way. But, you know, radio and podcasting, it's thriving. And I think yeah. that's why you see in all the podcasts, they, they kind of make it like a, a big part of the show where yeah. it's still like, dude, I mean, we went and watched uh, Malignant last night. Yeah. And, you know, screening 720. Don't expect that movie to start before 745. Yeah, it's like 745. It's at least a half hour of that shit. Yeah, that's that's a a pro Alamo thing. The ad reels for 15 minutes and that's it. Like you have that grace. You know that it's it's built for the service. So if the movie's going to start at seven, then all the ads, the movie's going to start at 715. Like there you go. Like I, I appreciate that. I mean, granted, if like myself or somebody else got up and talked for a half hour uh, before the movie, maybe that added some time. But uh, it's a little, it's a little different. But for like a first run, like you know, you're you're in there. It's it's because you need to time it out because the the difference between like going to Regal or an AMC is that like it's just like a trade show basically. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's you know, there's a lot of there's screen space and they're moving cars in and off the lot. Whereas you have limited screens, and you have people that are going to be serving and figuring out their hours and labor and all the sort of minute operational things you don't really think about when you're just there to watch a movie like that has to be kind of a swiss clock so it made it really actually it's good because you kind of had something to kind of hinge things off of but it made it very difficult in a lot of ways to do events 
That, that's really interesting you brought that up because one, I think the Alamo, it just works better. They tell people show up early, right? And then you yeah. have, you're kind of rewarded with the like um, relatable film reel before, which I found mm-hmm. a lot of music videos that I still listen to from the pre-show. Then mm-hmm. when we get into the movie time, you are given the commercials, right? Now mm-hmm. that's great because you get a bathroom break. Also, if you're mm-hmm. there early, you're probably going to that bar. So it kind of acts as like a utility moment too. But the thing about the Alamo is all their commercials are aimed at the Alamo. So a lot of the programming of the commercials are for films coming up and maybe they'll only play one or two times, or maybe it's for terror Tuesday. And you know, I don't find myself allergic to that. I think it's the the broad sweeping, like, Hey, uh, guess what? Jackass just got bumped, but we're going to show you this trailer, every movie for the next. And it's like, man, fuck you. Like dude, a quiet place too. Man. Wow, that really became the anthem of the lockdown. From it was just everywhere. There were yeah. billboards left up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That never got taken down, and it was like, I hate you. And there was, is, there is a poster like a like a uh, eighteen month decaying poster of the Lovebirds <laughs> that uh, Issa Rae thing on the corner of Divisadero and oh uh, god, is it like by the page? The the right is right there, and it was just funny to keep driving by it and seeing it like just slowly whittle away <laughs> or like, I think there was like a fast, like a fast nine poster right next to it too. of just yeah. these, you know, pandemic artifacts. If, poor poor if, Kumail. If we had any idea it was going to be longer than two weeks, you know what I mean? Like it would have been great oh. to see like a time-lapse camera over that. Remember how cute we were. <laughs> <I know. laughs> no, but you know, I'm, I'm excited. And the thing about, you know, an advertisement for like uh video vortex was it felt like it was really aimed like it was them programming a little bit like a commercial for the room. And there's something special about that. I think theaters should try yeah. and get back to it. I mean, fuck, at the century we go to, every now and then you get like a weird local commercial. Yeah. And those yeah. are always more like, I don't know, endearing. Yeah, I like those. Or interesting. When I went to go see Olds at the Regal, I didn't realize that Regal has been there. There are uh, productions that are four walling like shows for like Regals nationwide. There's this horror movie about people staying at this hotel in like Nantucket or somewhere. I can't remember what it was called, but I'm like, is this something that's gonna be playing at a Regal? Like it's like they're <laughs> it's insane. Like it was, I just didn't I didn't expect that. But that's kind of the thing with distributors or not distributors with exhibitors right now, especially on that size, is that they don't have people that are creating stuff they have marketing associates and managers that are you know making sure that you know whatever content is coming in that they're blasting it out there but there's no one that's curating things specifically there's no curation like curation is dead for most places like curation is kind of given way to the algorithm or feeding like what people marketing data what people think they want and then they're kind of doing that sort of thing whereas like i appreciate what independent theaters can do obviously because like, it's run by people that are showing other people things made by people. And I think Alamo, you know, did a really fantastic job of managing the two. Like, how do you, how do you still bring people in for, you know, whatever, whatever movies coming out. And then you can also still have space, be intelligent enough to have space for things that speak to local audiences and, you know, people like watching horror movies, yeah. people like watching exploitation movies and people like watching fun footage stuff. You make the space for it. When you make the space for it, you create a, a little beam, a little a lighthouse for cool people to show up and hang out. And there you go. You have to, you have to create the lane for it and people will come. Yeah. Companies don't get it. 
we're really in like the dawn of curation because there's so much fucking content out there. Yeah. There's there. I I guarantee you there are hundreds of like brilliant movies that will like lay on the YouTube floor forever. And it it really takes, but you know, and honestly that was kind of our experience with the Alamo originally was Keegan was a maniac who would be there before the beginning of the movie and the end. And he would stay there an hour past the closing of the film talking to people about what they thought about it or like the theory. And like, I've seen you out there doing it, Jake. I feel like I just aged in the three years Mike was there. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this now, (laughs) but also I'm incredibly shy. So I'm warning you now, if we see you out there, you're not going to get away. You're going to, Oh, please. Dude. Oh, my, I've just been socially eroded so badly over the past (laughs) year and a half. Like if I, if I go outside and there's a person walking around, I'll, I'll like, chat them up like do you know about lucio fulci like i'll just do that <laughs> um i think i i think i once drunkenly at like some after work thing for my girlfriend like shouted i love the italians while like talking about like a 70s like italian genre movies to, like her friends that are normal people that are like talking about like hey have you seen space jam 2 no fuck that like do you, <laughs> you want to talk about <laughs> do you want to talk about some jalo shit um but it was anyway Yes, please. Well, I would welcome more conversation. Let's go. See you at the Balboa. We'll talk. He opened the door. You want to warn him? I, Clark Clark will leave. When I used to go up there and talk to Mike, he would just be like, I'll be by the car. And then you would walk. <laughs> That's the meanest thing you could do. Because, you know, wow. it would be in the back of my head the whole time. I'm like, all right, dude, I got to go. Nah, man, we all got different, you know cars and different gears <laughs> in those cars and different speeds that we go now of course i feel like uh i don't know now jake you brought this up uh just in passing but uh what were your thoughts on m night Shyamalan's old loved it Rips. Yeah! I, it's, the, it's the dialectic between the serious and like somber i think the village is probably his best movie like it's such a perfect like Oh, hold on. The oh, village? No, I'm loving it. I'm Wait, loving it. The village? Yeah. I'm, a, I'm a defender okay, of the village as well. No, I, I let me go. Here's, here's why. So, like, I wasn't, I hadn't watched this stuff in a minute. My girlfriend and I were so stuck for old. We went for it. And I'm watching this. I'm like, oh, this is a perfect fusion of the um, sort of knowing camp of the happening that doesn't totally get there. And then the village, which is actually like a beautiful rumination of. I, people in isolation and like people trying to make a community that doesn't work. And the, I, I would say the village is a movie that if you watch it right now in our current context, it plays like beautifully. Like these people that are so afraid of the modern worlds that they just kind of create their own, sorry, spoilers for the village. Yeah. I mean, there's these people that are so terrified by the modern world that they just insulate into this like micro community. And it's, I think that Shyamalan in particular, he's not a filmmaker. He came, he, he kind of came up at a period where people weren't actually speaking about people's uh, uh, personas and points of view, or they wouldn't say like, Oh, this is a filmmaker of color. That's making the story about like whiteness or talking about like race or any sort of intersectionality in a specific way. But his movies like do touch on that and really, and, and really, I think like, smart ways and old does that too like the sort of like class distinctions that are in olds even with someone like even if you have a character named mid-sized sedan which is one of the funniest oh. dad jokes in a movie <laughs> so good. Of, in re- of recent vintage um sorry it's a long-winded thing i think that old kind of hits the dialectic of all the things i want from a Shyamalan movie and that you have these 
beautifully constructed set pieces. You have people that are just fiercely committed to going for it. Like they're everyone's kind of locked in. And you have all these different wavelengths of different types of performances and different types of things. Like it's it's good. Like when the when the fucking hereditary kid shows up from behind the the rock, oh, yeah. great. You know, you know things are gonna be fun. Um it's just good. I had a, I had a really good time. I wish it had ended like two minutes before it did. I think it got I think it was like a little little too yeah little too studio noty at the ends, but there's a perfect shot of like a tableau of the camera coming in while the uh the two the two kids are talking talking to the other kid and giving him the note back. Like that's pretty good. And you're like, oh the movie can end here, this is great. And then it keeps going where it's like, hey, hey, don't worry, everyone's gonna get prosecuted. The cops are the day. It's- we've arrested the whole island. Yeah, the whole island. Yeah, it's yeah. A fucking break. <laughs> well, you know, I never thought of it in the context of like COVID, like being a thing we're all going through. And you could, I feel like you could make an argument that lab leak at the end, or it, it could be like a parallel there. Mm. Oh, for sure. Like, yeah, I don't. Damn, that's great. I mean, dude, Jake, we've talked a lot about old, but yet you you brought up a bunch of things I'd never considered. Like that movie clearly was a microcosm. But like as like an agoraphobic kind of like lockdown microcosm, I, I hadn't thought of that. Did you yeah, read well, the that graphic one, novel? No, no, I didn't. I, I I did look up kind of the differences, and it's and it makes sense that that is more kind of just of its own thing. And this and and this has more of like a corporate, like all the corporate intrigue and all that stuff is inherent in the movie, but not in the book. So for him to add that, and for that to be the sort of conspiracy conspiracy theory or conspiracy thriller element of it. I thought was fascinating. Um, but yeah, I the, the graphic novel, the graphic novel kind of plays out like a, uh, French new wave, like uh, kind of like a, um, Godard, uh, day at the beach, which is really, really weird. And it, it's got like a bunch of like the kids in that movie, you know how like they kind of like wander off and they like bone and it's like, Oh shit, she's pregnant Yeah, in the yeah. book. They're like, we're going to die. We should have orgies. Let's go get those. And it's like, all right, that's very French. What are we doing? I know. And the thing is, it's Paul kind Schrader's of like, old. Yeah, right? <laughs> Dude. And it's very like contained and oh. I don't know. It's just like bleak. And I'm, yeah. And then at the end, they like shoehorn in this explanation where it's kind of like they are unraveling the enigma by literally telling a fable that is kind of summing up the whole book. And it's like, wow, I really appreciate old now. And if you're going to celebrate life, I really, I think the best way to do it is like, I'm straight up laughing at this girl in this movie, dying of her bonitis to the point where I guess I'm the only one who was moved by the couple on the beach reflecting. Yeah, no, I thought it was lovely. I almost got a tear there. I don't know. Gabriel uh, Garcia Bernal, like he eats up that scenery at the end, right before he dies. He's just smiling back at his son. Well, that was great. Jake was mentioned, favorite. hold on, I, I got to go back because you mentioned the camp in the happening. Do you think like Shyamalan kind of navigates that? Like, I don't Do you think he's winking when he has weird shit like the happening going on? I think that also, you know, that the album has- is like a riff track of that or they did. Oh, well, sure. Well, uh, uh, Ripper's Ripper's delight. There you it go. Was, uh, the comic. Yeah. Well, the fun thing about uh, I'll get you some break the kayfabe on uh, riffing shows. They're actually really really hard to book now. Oh, so why? before studios studios would allow you to do that, but then legal departments were just like, no, we don't. We we're systematically being like, no, we only license out for straight screenings, not for 
riffing or those sorts of shows. So the, the titles that you could show to do riffs on diminished like pretty substantially um, to a handful of distributors, uh, which made it very difficult. To, to Why? Do they think that. it's going to like diminish their product? I want, I don't know. I think there's some really arbitrary decisions that are made uh, by larger. <laughs> so older, some, some older. I mean, why do you think the devils hasn't been released? It's because there's one like Catholic yeah. executive that hates that movie. It's trying to bury it. Um, that's the, that's the story anyway about the devils and Warner brothers. Um, but you know, the, the, the sister, whatever the hell sister Vanessa Redgrave can show up in space jam too. So I guess it's not totally buried. Um, sorry. Uh, but yeah, go back to your thing about the happening. I think it's there. I mean, Mark Wahlberg, Mark Wahlberg, the what he's tuned to in that movie, I think that's where the movie like shines. Like him telling the kid at the beginning, like you're so handsome, you're so handsome, you gotta get smart at some point, guy. <laughs> science, like him as like a him as like a science teacher, that's fucking hilarious. <laughs> like he's he's got it. But then John Leguizamo is playing it like bone seriously, like is this really like tragic? Everyone's playing these different keys. It just doesn't totally, I think, come together. But it's inherently silly. But at the same time, watching that, watching old The Village and The Happening in a post-COVID environment, it's a really different experience for sure. The sort of inexplicability of The Happening is more of a feature, not a bug. It's a, as Mac Dre says, it's okay to be stupid doo-doo dumb. And that's exactly what The Happening is. Like it is just dumb as hell, but in like, I think a really appropriately dumb way. Dang. It's good dumb. I feel like a hypocrite now too, because normally I preach that. Like I, I feel like I'm a dumb audience member when it comes to appreciating acting, and sure. I think whatever ends up on screen is, you know, by choice. And of right. course, there are so many biographies and everything where an actor and a director didn't get along, and it wasn't mm-hmm. the performance they wanted. But I would always argue with people about Vertigo, and I'm like, well, Hitchcock didn't want Kim Novak, but the people who love her they love her in that movie and the audiences of vertigo love her in that movie. And it's partially because she doesn't work perfectly. Like she's portraying a non-actor acting, like trying to live a double Mm -hmm. life. Yeah. So I, you know, I watch like shot on video stuff, like a lot of the bleeding skull, like I'm reading through that book right now. And I always, I always end up taking everything at face value. Yet when I come to like a Shyamalan movie, I just realized I don't do that there. Like when it comes to comedy or like, it feels like, God, that was dumb. I instantly think it's because they, they fucked up. And, you know, I think I'm wrong. Thanks, Jake. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well I, just, I just think that the way that people read Shyamalan is fascinating because he was one of the last of a of, I look at that period of, like, late 90s, early aughts, like, studio stuff, at, like, as when the last times were, like, big money's being thrown around. Big money's being thrown around at the exact same time that people are still making original things. And yeah. there's at least like time and energy and effort that's put behind that. Because really gets to like 2008 and the financial crash, like that had such a huge impact on, on studio filmmaking. Because a lot of the money had dried up and these uh, studios or larger production companies were looking for different sources of revenue and became more financialized. And that's also like a post-Marvel period too. Um like franchise, the franchise filmmaker, shared universe filmmaking really started taking hold around that time. Right. So when you get to someone like Shyamalan, like his idiosyncrasies for someone to be working on that broad of a scale and be known for that. Um, I'm just explaining, you know, how audiences react to name filmmakers, but it's become 
significantly less of a thing in 2021. Like there are only a handful of filmmakers you can think that are like above the line guys. Like look at how Candyman was sold more on Jordan Peele's name than Neil DeCosta's. Yeah, yeah. People know who Jordan Peele is and what he brings to the table. Um, but it's kind of rare. I mean, the, the person has been kind of wiped away from the mechanical process of filmmaking. Like I'm not going in to see the Eternals because of Chloe Zhao. Um, although it's known that she's a film. I mean, she's she won best director, but like most of the yeah. audience members of they're going to see the Eternals are not going because they saw Nomadland. It's not like the thing with that. So, I mean, I'm going to go see, you know, ripped Kumail Nanjiani. That's what I want to go see. <laughs> The Joe Piscopo era of Kumail Nanjiani. We could only only hope. Don't you dare say Joe Piscopo around Clark. Look, he's my favorite. Joe Piscopo. He's a national treasure. Is that damn picture in here? It's in the garage now. It's in the garage. Oh, I guess it got downgraded. I have a. I love love Joe Piscopo and Sidekicks, the Chuck Karate Kid ripoff. It's good. Well, Dead Heat. Dead Heat is... He he has, like, a certain level of anti-comedy in Dead Heat that is just, like, every joke doesn't land. Like, none of his jokes (laughs) land, but his commitment to it is so good. good. Dead Heat's a blast. Yeah. All right. Jake, you gotta gotta worm in Dead Heat at the Alamo and get Clark up there. I want to see you intro that fucking movie. So, I'm not... So... Yeah. uh, I, I still work with Alamo in a different capacity, but uh, as far as like stuff like new mission, I'm kind of on the kind of on the back burner. So hopefully, like waiting for waiting for some stuff. Hopefully, can bring back Tarantino's name again. So well, okay. Um, a couple yeah. of the people that we collaborate with and do like live streams with, they work there as um, wait staff, and mm-hmm. I, you know, I got my ear to the ground, and I was like, "Hey, what's up?" Because I don't know why I thought you moved. I thought Jake had left when uh, the Alamo came down, and then no, just okay, stayed so in my basement, like, just stayed yeah. in my little in-law apartment, slowly going crazy. Well, like everybody else in a drunken conversation when I brought that up, uh, people, I'm, I'm gonna tell you, they love you out there. They're just like, dude, Jake oh, rules. Nice. Yeah. So I don't know. We got to get you back in there because what the, so if you're not there doing like program directing, is there like an interim person or are they not going to do like special programming? So it's, it's been centralized, uh, among oh, sort of the people nope. in Austin. <laughs> um, I was that. Yeah, I will. I will say I, I know people that are doing it. They're doing the best they can and have have eyes towards like this is sort of like a stopgap until more people are kind of brought back into the folds. And it's just it's it's going to take some time to readjust. I think so. I uh, I would I would give them I would give them some time before they figure figure their stuff out. But the uh, as they restaff and figure out, you know, it's it's like learning how to ride a bike again. That's I think how kind of a lot of it is so when late nights open back up there'll be some need stuff will come back for sure It'll all right time. it better i'm gonna start uh, writing my yelp reviews now <laughs> hey it doesn't come back there there's other venues there's other <laughs> other venues that should definitely take the baton of showing that stuff so that's uh that's a goal to at least make sure movies keep playing and regardless of the venue so Hold on, before we get too far away. Also, you said the village was his best movie. I, it's lingering. I gotta know why. Oh well, I was what I was saying. Like, I think that it's kind of this. Like, I think it's a it's it's lyrical in a way that his movies like try to get to. I think like uh, it's. Let me sorry. Let me let me scale. Yeah, when I was saying when I was saying stuff about like COVID and like communities and stuff, I was referring to the village. I mean, the old kind of fits that too. But I mean, William Hurt is good as hell in that. I think Bryce Dallas Howard's really soulful. Um, uh, Joaquin Phoenix 
has speaking of Hitchcock has a cool like thing where you think that he's going to be the lead through most of the movie and he's just fucking bleeding out through the second half. Like it's, it's a movie that has a lot of like really sharp narrative turns. And I think the part that gets a lot, that a lot of people think is just not of a piece. Like it, I, I think it's really resonant. I think it's resonant for there to be people that are like, well, we, don't want to live in society anymore. We want to retreat to a period that we think would work best for us. And it is a bunch of upper crusty, like city liberals that want to make this sort of, uh, almost like, uh, not Jonestown, but they want to make their own sort of planned community that is built around like their sense of, uh, their sense of security. And I think there's something, I think there's something that's in that that we can watch now with sort of a different mindset than me at that time that I think is just really sharp and resonant. Um, wow. I think it's got some of his best. I, it's just a gorgeous movie too. Like Roger Deakins like, shot the hell out of that. Like it's just a, or is it Conrad Hall? Uh, it's either way. Like it's, it's just a, it's just a gorgeous movie. I, I just think it's a perfect object. God damn it. All right. I, I took a note. I'm going to rewatch it. Plus I love how much it pissed people off when I yeah, came Yeah, I was one of them. I loved it. <laughs> I, I, dude, I was, I've been a defender of the village since it came out. Can you wax poetic like Jake just Incorrect. did about it? Nope. <laughs> Let him do the heavy lifting. All right. Well, Jake, what are you doing in the meantime? I know you got some programming coming up at uh, two of our favorite theaters out here in San Francisco. Oh, right on. Yeah. So I uh, uh, talked to the folks of the Roxy, hat in hands, and they were they were chill with wanting to try out some shows. So I've been doing, uh, trying to start this uh, roving repertory program. Uh, throughout the Bay Area. It's called Transmissions. Uh, and it started with the Roxy. So we did shows of Barfly in 35. Because I was like, during COVID, just really wanted to drink. <laughs> really wanted to go to a dive bar. <laughs> and was just watch, obsessed with movies set in bars. So watch Barfly Bunch, Trees Lounge, uh, Last Night at the Alamo, the Eagle Pinnell movie. Um, just anything that was just in like physical spaces and Barfly like really resonated. It felt like a good first movie back. Uh, and Roxy was super down to book on film too, which was really cool. So we did that. And uh, Thief, Michael Mann's Thief last Hell week. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, just uh, told Carl to play it loud, and he did. Uh, so that was really that was really good. Uh, so yeah, play, got some shows coming up. The Roxy showing uh, Demon Lover, the Olivia Sais movie. Uh, Girl bosses, corporate intrigue, and hentai. What else do you want? Yeah. Uh, so so what is Demon Lover? I apparently missed that movie, and when I saw that you were showing it, I looked it up, and I'm like, whoa, this! I need to watch that. Yeah, Demon Lover, I feel like fits into this sort of fascinating well of like turn of the century globalization, or or uh, I think of it in a lot of ways like Abel Ferrara was doing stuff like this with Nero's Hotel, it's really dope. William Gibson adaptation with uh, Chris Walken and Willem Dafoe and Asia Argento, uh, also doing stuff like this, like these sort of. The film, like uh, filmmakers, are having to cobble together money from all these different these resources. Like it's a French U.S. co-production, or you know, getting it from a bunch of different countries. Like that's built within the text of the way in which like corporate corporate world is kind of encroaching on stuff. Like the perils of international finance is kind of like a subtitle Ooh. I would have for a lot of these movies. Uh, Michael Mann's uh, Black Hat kind of gets into this too. Um, yeah, but Demon Lover rocks. It's a uh, competing execs uh, trying to buy. Uh, just buy websites. Like it's very web, like 1.0. Uh, you want to buy this game called demon lover. This is like a very popular Japanese game. And it turns out it may be a front for some real dark web shit. Uh, oh. but it's great. It's got Connie Nielsen and the queen, Gina Gershon and, uh, Chloe Sevigny. Like it's, it's, it's rad. And Isaias uh, loads it with 
his usual sort of post-punk soundtrack proclivities. You'll hear some Sonic Youth. You'll hear some good shit. So yeah, Demon Lover, Boarding Gate, Demon Lover, Irma Vap, like top, top, top tier. I big, big Asaias fan. Hell yeah. Sold. Now before, so before Demon Lover, the week yeah. before at the Balboa, uh, you got a little Putney Swope action going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, may he rest in peace. Robert Downey Sr. or Prince. Right. Uh, yeah. Putney Swope. Putney Swope is basically just a Molotov cocktail. Like, on screen like it's, it's an awesome awesome movie it's you would think it's definitely of its time in terms of its you know the way in which it handles sort of race relations in relation to like uh you know mass avenue and, and corporate world and stuff but it's it's funny shit and it's the stuff that it says uh it, it came from Downey's own frustrations of working in advertising so he was doing all that and while he was trying to make uh chief elbows and his other like new york underground movies uh it fucking rules. You don't you don't have Robert Downey Jr. in Tropic Thunder without Putney Swope. Like his whole thing is based right. off of the character of Putney Swope. But it's it's rad. And it's uh yeah, uh, Adam at the Balboa was super keen on showing it. Like I mentioned a couple titles to him. He was like, Putney Swope, big room. Like, okay, cool. I hope people come to it. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so uh yeah, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful restoration. Um was it from the American Genre Film Archive? They there goes those guys are all great. Uh and they uh they rep, they're ripping that, and uh, yeah, it should be fun. Hope to see some of y'all there. It's good Dude, now those Balboa owners, uh, aren't they a trip? They are some of the most cool yet dry people I've ever <laughs> known in my life. And one of one of our good friends, um, Harry Nordlinger from uh, Cinematic Oblivion, who worked at the Alamo before, he works there. And I remember, I'm like, dude, what's up with them? Like, Chloe, like, is she? And he's like, dude, I worked here for a long time thinking she hated me. They're just so like low key chill. And you yeah. know, here's the thing. So we're looking at your scheduling and you're also showing Halloween three at the Presidio. Now, yeah. when you're, when you're booking multiple venues, do you have like in your head, are you thinking demon lover is going to crush at the Roxy? Cause they're going to get foot traffic in there and people are going to show up going like, Oh, Chloe and Savinia and then go in there and be like, Whoa, my mind was blown. We're like, you know, the Balboa, you're kind of in this weird little neighborhood that's pretty, like, it's pretty banging post-COVID. But the, yeah, the Balboa yeah. has been crushing it. it because yeah. they're the only game in town. Like, yeah. they yeah. came out full guns of blazing with, like, we're just going to book movies. And I think what you're seeing now is that audiences, because there's a pandemic, like, still, especially families, are not going to go out to see stuff. So if you're a neighborhood theater that specialized in family films or all that sort of stuff like that audience isn't coming out. And I think that people that have this latent interest, 18 month built up latent interest in going to movies are going to want to see repertory titles. They're going to oh, want to yeah. see, they're going to want to be exposed to stuff. Cause if you're stuck, uh, you know, looking at your DVD pile or looking at, you know, what's streaming or what people are screaming about on different social media platforms, it's really tough to focus. But when you buy a ticket, you sit in a seat and something you've been meaning to see, you put it on a calendar it's meaningful. Like it means that you are going to do something. And I think that that's kind of why you'd see some, some like Bobo where like, what was, what did I see? That was like killed the doom generation. Uh, Omar showed his print of the doom generation. It was full. It was full of people that yeah. I had not seen at another screening. It was a totally different audience. And that's when I knew like, Oh, people are traveling to go to the Balboa to see something like the doom generation. It's not as neighborhood isolated as it was no. maybe before. So let's just, Try what's what to do with these different venues. Uh, it's also the time. It's it's money. It's cost. It's also time. And it's also testing out. You know what plays where. Uh, 
the uh, Frank at the Presidio was very kind to respond to my email when I said like, Hey, I've got, you know, movies going on in different, different places. Were you interested in trying something? And just like Halloween three felt like, I want to see that. And I, it's also like seven 30. It's not super late uh, or seven 45, one of the two. And it's like, people come out to see Halloween three. It'll be great. Even if it's in the Marina, which is not an area that people go see movies at very often. Like it's going to shot. Why not? Go get some cocktails afterwards. Fuck it. My mom will not be going out to see Halloween three every October. <laughs> she's like three more days. To- I hate that movie. They ruined all the. I'm like, mom, what the hell? She's got. And they never made another one after that. It was done. I- the series ended. God. She's got such a weird vendetta. She was watching Into the Darkness. Have you seen that? It's like a four and a half hour documentary that kind of they spend like three to five minutes on every horror movie in the eighties. Got to Halloween three, and my mom was drinking tequila. Oh my god! Yeah, my mom will not be there. Although, where is oh. the Presidio? We've been there. So the pres- it's um, it's in it's on Chestnuts and Eighteenth or Nineteenth. All right. Uh, I don't know. The burger, is- Coswell's that burger bar is attached to it, but it's got this beautiful deck Art Deco facade. Um, yeah, it is kind of. Yeah, it's, I mean, you have to take a couple of bus lines. Like, hopefully, like, getting out early, I think, will be good because it's a little bit easier to get around. Um, yeah, it's pretty close to Lombard, too. Like, um, block or two from Lombard. House that Jack built. Yeah. Parking oh, around there is a shit. nightmare. And oh, it was, like, raining yeah. that day. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't know buildings by their address, okay? I know it Neither by the I. Are their names? <laughs> it's all... <laughs> What they look like, yeah. their name, their function. I only remember theaters by the trauma I had inside. And uh, that's <laughs> the house that Jack built was a hell of a one and done with the Presidio. Oh, and I, I oh, like the Presidio, goodness. but yeah, it can be a trek to get out there. Well, I remember, yeah. dude, going in there, it felt like everybody who worked there was smoking cigarettes and like judging everybody who walked in, which honestly is the, the vibe best. I want. Yeah, that, yes. that's, that's the best vibe. It was a pouring rain that day. Yeah, and I just remember thinking, why the fuck are they showing the house that Jack built? Like, did somebody trick them or did they confuse the title? I'm, I'm glad they did. That's a very, it was, I felt uh, we had a uh, internal Alamo screening of that. I think that and dragged across concrete in like a couple weeks separation from each other. I was howling laughing at some parts of house that Jack built oh, and yeah. dragged that were uh, not things other people were laughing at. So <laughs> that was cool. What Definitely that? outed myself as a, Herbert. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, that man, I don't know, Jake. I'm glad we're talking. Um, one of the, one of the things I remember about Keegan was he has that iconic laugh that would always happen at dead <laughs> moments in the theater, and you, yeah. everybody there would just know it was him. Yeah, yeah. And, and half the time he'd just be in the doorway, all the way in the back, and then just leave right after two. Yeah, yeah. I. Jake, uh, man, I'm I'm excited to go to these screenings. Also, man, we should go back to the Presidio. I know. I haven't, I've only it's been a beautiful there venue. I saw uh, that Donnie Yen movie, Raging Fire, there a couple weeks back. That was my first time there. I was the only person in the room, which sucked for a movie like that. Like, you want to be with a packed house and just, like, cheer when Donnie Yen saves a kid with a car. It's yes. so rad. Have you guys seen this? No. No. Or heard about this? It rips. It's like, it's like a ha- it's like a very much a throwback to like eighties, nineties, like Hong Kong action stuff, but it kind yeah. of is like a low key, low key, like heat or infernal affairs, oh. kind of, but a lot like Michael Mann's heat. Um, Robert. Donnie Yen is this sort of upstanding, uh, inspector with the moral scruples whose protege was, uh, 
years earlier was was outed in some sort of corruption scandal and he, he's become this master criminal and it's about the two of them like butting heads against each other it's so good um, it's got a 7.2 on imdb it must be a perfect film <laughs> <laughs> that is incredibly high for imdb where all the trolls such a long like time that. No. Well, yeah. I, we we introed a movie for another hole in the head where the director was like, "You got to help me. People are tanking me on IMDb," and we're like, "I don't know, dude. <laughs> I feel like IMDb is just a black hole. It's they yeah. like to have the movie circle the bowl there, but uh, yeah. it, no, it was somebody really trying to tank it. Also, it that looks sucks. like they're showing. Was that L. Callahan's new movie they're showing? Was it called Witch Hunt? Yeah. Shout yeah, out to our first fifteen minute interview we ever did on the show. That's Trying awesome. To- yeah, I, I mean, was it? <laughs> she was incredibly nice, but what the hell? We can't talk to somebody for 15 minutes. <laughs> we could, but we're not good. I know. <laughs> so it's, is it the Presidio? It's going to open on October 1st. Okay. Witch Hunt? Good. We're going to drag Jake out Jeez, there. So October, October's him. almost here, man. Let's do it. Gee whiz. October's going to be nuts. Like, there's going to be so many. Because I think, the, I mean, the one I'm most excited for in October is Titan, the Julia DeCarno movie. Have you guys seen Raw, the the French yeah, yeah, yeah. the French yeah. cannibal movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's her it was her follow up. It won the Palme d'Or. It can, but yeah. it's uh it's kind of like it's a all I know about it is it involves cars in a way oh. similar to to Crash. So I am one hundred percent there. Crash, not bookable for <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Brandon Cronenberg, dude. Dude, <laughs> Crash yeah. is not bookable theatrically because it's NC seventeen supposedly. Hey, Milton, it's my dog Milton. What the? Hey, oh. bud. Wait, you can't book Crash? I was wondering why I never saw it like in a theater. It's just yeah. a movie that's popped up at like family events where people are like, oh, Crash. And then it's like, oh, I didn't know it was the Cronenberg one. <laughs> I mean, if, if you did book it, could you, could you maybe backdoor to some sort of secret screening situation? Of course. You can put him on the spot to answer. <laughs> I That's think I think that going, I think that being roguish. I think that people can be roguish and just go for it. Um, but it's tricky because then it's like, uh, do you have a print available? Can you play it? If you have the print, do you, are you in a, are you in a venue that can thread it up properly, or yep. are you just going to play like a Blu-ray or the 4K or something, or the 4K like UHD disc? Um, like, what's the best experience for the audience? Um, that's what's kind of tricky. So sure. I don't know. I also wouldn't want to spring crash on someone as a surprise. <laughs> That's also, it just gets to that where it's like, why would you do that to somebody? You need to have them prepare. Oh, or just say like, oh, we're showing Adam McGuane's Exotica. You should totally come to that and you're prepared for Exotica. <laughs> but you get Crash instead. That at least is like a bait and switch for the audience yeah. is prepped. Sure. But then there'll be people that are like, I didn't buy a ticket to Exotica. So I thought it was going to be Exotica. You should yeah. Crash instead? What the fuck? Yeah. Like, it would be like that. Yeah. I'm, I'm here for Ratatouille. Dude, I feel like Jake could get us those movies you were looking for. Clark's been going down a uh, dark path of film lately, and he's had me trying to find like taxidermia. And uh, what else were you looking for? The poop movie that's five you hours. You cannot, you cannot find. Oh, uh, or, River of Fundament, or yeah, or uh, Visitor Q. We're gonna get there at some point, but uh, oh, you yeah, cannot I can help find those. You cannot find Visitor Q anywhere. It's very annoying. You guys, you guys on like like Caragarga or any of those like. Private tracker, like torrents and stuff. Do you guys do that at all? Oh that's, my god, that, that's Russell's territory. Yeah, you gotta email me that stuff. Yeah, don't school okay. me on here. I'll, I'm very. Uh, hey, is Pirate Bay up today? And that was like, <laughs> and oh man, fishing for a virus a lot of the times on there. Yeah, getting. I think that film film culture now is having a VPN and knowing how to torrent. Like, yeah, 
that really it's the way that people can share stuff. And I mean, obviously support, support uh, boutique releases buy what vinegar syndrome puts out and Severin and Criterion and all these folks like doing amazing work. But if you can't find it and you don't have cash, like download it, watch it and tell people about it. Oh, dude, for sure. And that's what it is. It's like we're looking around for a physical copy, and it's like, no, it's gone. Yeah. That's going to be yeah. cool jobs, and then we're going to throw our shit up there. That's $500. Right. We got it. <laughs> <laughs> no. Jake, you know, we, what we should do, because you were talking about in, in the lockdown wanting to drink, we got, we got the best double feature. It's going to make you want to drink, and then it's going to make you hate yourself for drinking. You yeah, open yeah. up, Wake and Fright, the best drinking movie ever. Great. Excellent. Right? Then you end with the Golden Glove. Have you seen that? Is that uh oh, it's a serial killer movie? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. <laughs> oh, well, this is the first one you don't want to talk about though. No, no, I it's just it's it's brutal. Like it's oh. it's it's brutal in a way that's fun. Like I I, I dug it. It's not one I'm gonna like be super hyped <laughs> to like go back to. Um uh, yeah, good good makeup on that guy. Very handsome man, made to. Yeah, you see him. You see him without the prosthetics. Super handsome, handsome guy. Yeah, it's that's good. I think that it's kind of like like Colin Farrell made Colin Farrell look like Richard Kind in the new Batman movie. It's kind of like that <laughs> level of of stuff. I I like your reaction to it though. You've been so upbeat about things like the village or like old, and then it's like ta- oh, I could get taxidermia. You mentioned the Golden Glove. You're like, oh. <laughs> testament to that movie that, that movie is truly a uh it's wild yeah I, and i yeah. think that's the film they got clark looking for visitor q online no we were looking yeah. for visitor q before but um i don't know I, I well i i've been meaning to to catch up on some some takashi Miike, so i feel like visitor mm. q is definitely um you know it, it has to be on that radar man all right it's prolific like, prolific guys like Miike are so hard i mean it's like Miike, soderbergh spike lee who are some yeah. of the really shine uh shin sono like where do you start? Where do you go? Like it's it's very very difficult to keep up, yeah. but it's fine. It's like especially when you've record. got one hundred features, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. like Takashi Miike. If you're an obsessive, if you're an obsessive and a completist, it just breaks your brain. Like what do oh. you do? <laughs> just pick and choose. Do your yeah. thing. Get out of here. Yeah, I don't have that problem. I get into a director and I'm like, I love it, and then I hide from them the rest of my life. Like yeah. every director, I don't think I've seen every like Carpenter movie. Which you know, I haven't either. Like, yeah, and I. I don't know. It's kind of like when you watch them all, it's done. I don't know. Especially when they're dead. It's, that is true. Well, because you want to have the feeling of expiration and it's, it's fascinating. Like I've really, one thing, uh, one of my favorite curated experiences during lockdown was the, uh, the movies at home series on the criterion channel. Oh yeah. Uh, but one of them, which is a filmmaker I've really, really gotten into recently is Blake Edwards. And I've always liked Blake Edwards, but like eighties, Blake Edwards, like super bitter, like male menopause, like, yeah. uh, Blake Edwards, like that's like, that, uh, I love that shit. So that's life with Jack Lemon, fantastic movie, but the sort of period of these guys that were either Mavericks or getting iced out of the system as like things got more oriented towards younger people <laughs> again, like were more like, you know, genre oriented or action adventure space or something that was not about old dudes and their problems. Still them kind of working through it. It's like Bob Dylan in the eighties or all this stuff. It's like, that's a period of people's artistic arcs. I find really fascinating. Um, so yeah, but someone like it's, but it's still tough. Cause it's like, like Edwards is super prolific. Yeah. Where do you go? Like he's kind of find these little like narrow trenches and kind of go for it. 
tonight. All right, we start with the Pink Panther and then we go from there. <laughs> yeah. So, Jake, what, what is your what's your like go to genre? Are you a horror guy, or are you just like you, you've mentioned like such a wide range of movies? I'm I'm trying to figure out where you come from. It's I don't know any of these days anymore. I mean, like I um, it's funny. Mike and I talked about horror in a way where like neither of us, I think, are like super heavy horror dudes, but really dig horror. And I think that that sort of like sideways approach can be good. I try to approach any genre or thing I like as just kind of like, what's another angle into this beyond the direct angle. Um, like I dig thrillers and suspense movies and cop movies and detective movies, procedurals and stuff. Exploitation. Uh, exploitation. Oh, for sure. Uh, and that's such a broad brush. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I'm really anything that seems like it's made by people. If that makes sense. I mean, like yeah. there really is a different, like that's, that sounds really you know pointed, but it's tough. I, I, I think that uh, I was talking to some friends about this the other day. Taste and palate are two different things. Yeah. And yeah. I want to have a wide palate of just, I mean, you guys are like this too, of just give it to me. Like, I want to taste this. Like, what is this? Maybe it's not everything is to your liking. Like I'll watch the golden globe. It might not be my exact thing, but if it's like, you know what, if that gets me wanting to watch some Fassbender movies or watching like some other stuff like of that, then that's great. It's a lightning rod to something else. Yeah, so like whatever kind of American it- boogeyman. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like any, yeah, any I, I did that. <laughs> but like comedy like did comedies and like pre code like uh, pre code American stuff, um Euro freakout movies, uh yeah, that's just Give it to me. Now, with pre-code American stuff, the only place I've ever seen it was like TCM had like a few DVD releases that I think I have one of. But like, man, I'd love to dig deep in there. Well, no, no. Okay. I don't, it's, it's like, all right, so we're an hour into this interview. Uh, Jake, I owe you a huge thank you uh, that I just, just realized this. Um, this was one of the last films I think I saw at the Alamo. I had been hunting this movie down for, um, at that juncture, nearly half of my life. And you procured the movie and showed the movie. And that is uh, The World's Greatest Center. Yes. Yes. The World's Greatest Center rules. And I, I was movie. there. And uh, when I saw that, you know, that it was being shown at the Alamo, I freaked out. And uh, man, just thank you for that. I could because it was um, God. I found out about that movie when I was in college, and they had showed it. They showed it for one night on Halloween night on TCM, and I fucking missed it. <laughs> and I could for a decade could not find it. And uh, obviously, you know, I, I wanted to see it in the theater, and, and you made that happen. So, uh, from oh, the bottom of my heart, thank you, Jake. Oh, dude, my pleasure. I love that movie's incredible. That's that's my zone. Like wild, wild men like Timothy Carey, who all they could do, they had this insane radical vision that they want to put to the world. It's like a, a man wrestling with God, like in the movie. That's essentially what happens, like in it. Uh, but yeah, Gone with the Pope, uh, the Duke Mitchell movie is similar yes. to that, or The Astrologer, if you guys have seen The Astrologer. At the album. Um, yep. Yeah. Uh, another movie that is locked in a vault uh, for a variety of legal reasons. Um, oh, oops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it has to do, I think it has to do with the soundtrack, like all the Moody Blues songs that are in that movie. It's tough to get that license. Um, otherwise, otherwise it would have gotten released. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah if a movie can't get released. Me. I did. 
ditch. (laughs) If a movie doesn't get released, it's likely music. It's likely not clearing that Which is so Um, dumb. There's a local filmmaker out here who, he, what did he use? A bunch of Faith No More? And like he won't back off of it. And I remember we got him in touch with a couple people who were like interested in putting it out. Yeah. And he just won't back off of it. I'm like, come on, Mike Patton. Also, love you if you're listening right now. And (laughs) give me a goddamn copy of the movie. I don't understand this. We went out there, had him on the podcast, promote the shit out of this thing. And I'm like, I'm a fan. Just give me a VHS tape. I don't care. I'm not going to rip that. Won't do it. But back to the world's greatest center. (laughs) Back to the world's greatest center. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Because we got, I mean, we got. Frank Zappa was how old when he did the score for that? Uh, I feel like he was early 20s. He was like a child. Yeah, yeah it was, it was like definitely early age. on. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, that, that was a definite like third eye opening experience. Like that movie, um, another one that took a while to track down, uh, Tom Schiller's Nothing Lasts Forever. Have you guys seen this? No. no, but but where okay. where, did, where did you get the print for? Uh, He's like, I don't care story. about it. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry for Sinner, So for Sinner, it's fascinating. So that was directly with uh, Carrie's son uh, Romeo. Okay. So I got connected with uh, Millie DiCirico, who's from TCM. Actually, she's amazing. She has her. Uh, I saw I saw you last uh, pod, uh, which is really good. She's been on uh, Double Threat with uh, Tom Sharpton and Julie Klausner too. But yeah, Millie is hands down one of my one of the great programmers uh, working right now. Um, so she got me in contact with Romeo because they were doing something for TCM Fest the year prior. And there's the, the what we saw was the 2K DCP, but he was working mm-hmm. on a fuller restoration with uh, the Academy like, for, of a print and a new like scan of that. So that's been kind of long in the works. So I'm curious where that's going to, where that's going to go. But yeah, that DCP was available and it was, it was definitely like a, uh, when I moved from doing that, working at Alamo in Austin, to figuring out what to do in San Francisco. It's like I'm world's greatest center. Like I have to play it. I kind of looked at it as like, how long, how long will I get away with playing movies? And what are the movies I want to play? So it was the same month as like the adventures of Ford Fairlane and a couple other yeah. things. Like that was when the last, probably the only time that print's been played <laughs> since like 1990, like shit like that, where it's just, let's just go. No rules. Come on. Great. Love it. Yeah. Clark was very excited about that. I was actually there with you. I don't know if you remember that while you're creaming your fucking pants over that movie. <laughs> you know, you know, clean it up. God. Yeah. That was, it was a good night. I wish you had set me up for it more. Cause I'm like, what are we watching? You're like, dude, Frank Zappa was like young. You made this movie and what it's the score. I still have no idea. Like, yeah. Timothy Carey's well, a crazy person. Okay. No, I mean, no, I in real life. And then he made a movie. He I became mean, obsessed with farts too. <laughs> like he's obsessed with flatulence. No, legit. So on the, the the first time I saw World's Greatest Center, it was a tape that he had put out, and it was loaded with this him promoting his like fart gag, uh, like other movies that he made, and he also auditioned for The Godfather. One yeah. or two, or no, he auditioned for God. One of the Godfathers he auditioned for it, and he wouldn't stop farting during the <laughs> during the thing. It's it's wild, dude. I I, I love that guy. Now, okay, you briefly mentioned working at the Alamo in Austin, coming out to San Francisco. What made you want to take the jump out here? Like, and how different are the communities? Radically different, actually. Um, Well, it was just, it was an opportunity. I mean, the the New Mission is an amazing theater. And so to have the opportunity to program at a historic venue in a city, I'd always wanted to, like, and it was just, it just felt like a dream thing. Like, it's like, how often, when you have, when these, chances present themselves how often do that, does that happen 
and just go for it. Why not? So uh, it's been a dream to live in San Francisco and to be a part of the San Francisco film community. Uh, it was very short lived. So I was only, you know, it was programming for about a year before, uh, before COVID happened. Uh, as far as the Austin community, I mean, Austin film culture is deeply, deeply fascinating. You have all these different strains of uh, exploitation culture, the exploitation, like imprint uh, sharing boom of the late 90s, early 2000s. It's all Quentin Tarantino. Not all, but a lot of it. So he would come come to the Dobie Theater, which was the uh, one of the homes of the Austin Film Society, started by Richard Linklater and a couple of other folks, to show, like, bring his prints. This is, I think, after Jack, the period between Jackie Brown and Kill Bill. Oh, he would okay. do this yearly. This is around the same time the Alamo opened on, in downtown Austin in 1997. And then the second year of QT Fest, it was held at the Alamo. And that's also what interested uh, Tim League, uh, the owner and uh, uh, founder of the Alamo to start buying prints. And that's what started uh, the Weird Wednesday series of just these print acquisitions of like, what the hell is this? And we just start screening stuff. And one of the guys that was going to QT Fest that was going to Weird Wednesday, it's a programmer named Lars Nilsson, who's hands down like one of the best programmers ever and a mentor and a really good friend. Uh, and he, um, he was just like, I know what these are. Like, I can tell you what they are. And he just presented Weird Wednesday. So like, this and he was the programmer there for like from like 2000 up until 2013 or so. There's actually a book coming out about the history of Weird Wednesday, similar to the Bleeding Skull book. Oh. Um, it's and it's about kind of the history and the history of the American genre film archive. So all the prints that were stored became Agfa, and then Agfa has now blossomed into this beautiful theatrical um, entity. You know, she was spearheaded by uh, Josie Emba of Bleeding Skull and Brett Berg. Um, but yeah, like the Austin film culture has that. We also have the local independent stuff, like Link, the Linklater strain, uh, or guys like Eagle Pinnell. Uh, Toby Hooper was an Austin filmmaker. Um, like Texas, Texas Chainsaw, you can go to the Texas Chainsaw house and get barbecue there now. It's really cool. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And the, the Alamo Village before it was the Alamo Village was the theater that Texas Chainsaw originally opened at in 1974. Um, Look at so you! You're like an Alamo historian over here. Yeah, kind cool. of am, yeah. And you, <laughs> but, I mean, there's so much history there, and I wish you know. I think a book is needed because now that I'm reading again, as of like three months ago, I've been devouring it, and I'm I'm not really like a good internet like uh, I don't know fact finder, and I it's hard for me to build like a story out of like disjointed information. But like hearing hard. you talk about it now, that's what I need, and. Man, I, Agfa, it's so weird because you would think Agfa has been around for a hundred years. They feel like I have a lot of respect for them and they feel like they carry a lot of weight. And then yeah. it's like, yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty new in the you know, course of film. But man, they're such right. a staple out here. All the prints we get from them and everything. Yeah. And Brett's a friend. We've had him on the show a couple of times. Yeah. Oh, Brett. I yeah. love Brett. If you guys, you guys watch his show, Museum of Home Video, right? No, I heard he was doing like a live stream thing, right? Yeah, as you started during the pandemic. Like two of the best thing the best things that happened during the pandemic were all on Twitch. <laughs> like it was it was, you know, Museum of Home Video, it was what uh, Cathode was doing, or um, movie the movie pass, Twitch series, uh, Racer Racer Trash too, those remixes. Uh, have you guys watched any of the Racer Trash things? No. What is that? So it was an editing collective. Think of it as kind of like a post, like everything is terrible, Tim and Eric style. Sure. Like edit, they're an editing collective. They took Speed Racer. And they just made it into like this vaporwave experience of just like taking chunks of the movie and creating this feature thing. But they started doing it for other movies. So there's a racer trash version of Heat, Alien, 
uh, the Boz Lerman, Romeo and Juliet, Vertigo. Uh, it's it's wild stuff. Like, and they do it sporadically. I know that uh, Peter Kaplowski, who's the programmer up at um, Midnight Madness at TIFF, is a huge, huge Racer Trash guy. And I'm showing some stuff up there right now. Um, but yeah, I'm curious how that would play in a room because I was just used to seeing it on just on a Twitch a Twitch channel. Yeah, we we have a projector at the house, so whenever we were watching any kind of live stream or computer thing, we would hook it up to there. Like, yeah, our, awesome. our house, it looks like we have, like, mental problems. You walk in, and there's a lot of, like, living room furniture, but it's all aimed at a wall. It's just a white <laughs> wall. It, it, I don't Yeah, it looks like we, we hold, like, cult meetings every Tuesday or something. <laughs> well, in a way. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's all around the projector. <laughs> well, fuck, Jake. I mean, I'm... I'm deeply regretting not having hung out with you for so long now. How long have you been in the Bay Area? Uh, since April 2019. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm glad I'm glad we're fixing it. Because clearly, yeah, I, I, I would want to sit here and talk to you for another couple of hours. But, I'd, I mean, thank you for taking the time out to hang out with us. Oh, my gosh. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. We'll, have, we'll chat more on mic, off mic, lobbies, out, out about town. Let's go. Let's do it. So, Jake, what's the best way for people to uh, be involved in the in transmissions? So that's a great question. Uh, the best way is to buy a ticket to upcoming movies. Uh, but you can see, uh, I, I'm still figuring out kind of the other promotional angles and stuff. So I have an Instagram for transmissions. It's at transmissions SF. Um, you can follow if you just go on the the Roxy's calendar or the Balboa's calendar. And you do that, or uh, you follow me on, on Twitter on, as a paperboy underscore 2000, uh, big Chris Elliott Get a Life fan. So that's where that came from. Uh, <laughs> I'm a link tree. I have links to all, this, all the shows, uh, but there'll be something more robust uh, coming soon. Was that an alarm? <laughs> that was a doorbell. Yeah, that's my dog barking. So this is cool. This is happening okay. right now. Uh, Perfect time. What do we want to see from there? All right, one second. <laughs> What do you, you got money on a pizza guy? Randy, don't you cut this out. Yeah, Randy. This is life, Randy. Oh, on E? Clark's oh, favorite character from Entourage? Randy, I, li- I like your apartment, Randy. Thanks, man. Mystery guest? Aw. What was it, Amazon? <laughs> no, it was, it, was the, it was the mailman. Actually, uh, it's a cache of zines. So this is another thing to plug if it's okay. Yeah, um, yeah. The Beacon, the Beacon uh, Theater in Seattle, uh, run by... Uh, Tommy Swenson and Casey Moore, two upstanding dudes. They put out a zine that was curated by Nick Pinkerton, like one of the great American <laughs> film writer uh, right now, I think, uh, called uh, Bombast. So I uh, was like, hey, how can I help get it out there? So we're going to get these zines at uh, some Green Apples and at Amoeba um, to buy. And you can also, I mean, you can buy it from their site, but if you want to support, you know, getting stuff at local bookstores, it'll They'll be at the uh, Green Apple on Irving and Ninth, Green Apple on Clement, Amoeba, and Booksmith. Hopefully, fingers crossed. That's right. What, what's the zine called again? It's called Bombast, and it has Tweety Bird on the cover. It's it's beautiful, and there's a whole breakdown of '80s Blake Edwards. So if you want to hear more about '80s Blake Edwards between uh, Nick Pinkerton and filmmaker Sean Price Williams, then totally read it. It's really good. Dude, zines have been killing it in this like weird lockdown era. They're so yeah. cool to find one on like Instagram and just buy directly. I don't know. They're they're rad. So I'm very into yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's almost kind of like it's pretty well produced. It's a beautiful object. I don't know if I have it on me right now, but it's uh yeah, definitely definitely give it a read. Uh, and also, it's got some comics in there too. It's good. Do, do mailmen always ring the doorbell? 
I feel like that's kind of like, inv- like, dude, just leave the mail. You know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> you said it was a box. He still chunked it. He still chunked it over the fence, which is fine. Dude, but, uh, it's kind of poetic license. You know, it's whatever they want to do. Clark's got yeah. a love hate relationship with all his, uh, DoorDash or Grubhub drivers. <laughs> oh, I <laughs> like some of them. Just the eye contact they would make, or they like uh, my favorite was that dude took a picture of the front door, but you're in the picture. Yeah, you're looking out the window <laughs> <Yeah>. at him. <laughs> Very good. Excellent, <laughs> Jake. You rule, man. Thank you so much for taking the time out. And um, what were those dates again for your your screenings? Oh, sure. So uh, Putney Swope, uh, Tuesday, September 21st at the Balboa. I think it's a 7:30 show. Uh, Demon Lover is Monday, September 27th. At the Roxy, that's a nine o'clock show. And if you buy tickets now, I'll be able to be able to add some more. Uh, so that's good, at least for Demon Lover. Putney's got a way to go. Uh, then um, tickets will be on sale shortly for Halloween Three: Season of the Witch at the Presidio on October 11th, Monday, October eleventh. And then we also have Arabato, aka Rapture, Pedro Almodovar's favorite horror film, showing a brand new thirty-five print of that uh, from uh, Altered Innocence. Uh, Really, really fantastic label for for queer uh, horror and expectation titles. Um, that's going to be at the Roxy on October 18th. And they're also going to be co-presented by Amoeba. Uh, all the screenings are co-presented by Amoeba, but then the two in October are co-presented by uh, Peaches Christ's uh, Terror Vault uh, Into the Dark Productions. So get some things going there, you guys. If you, I'm so stoked to go to their go to their show at the Mint this year. So it'll be fun. I've I've never been. Every year we're like, we try to make a big production, get everybody out there, and then it doesn't work and we don't end up going. And I only hear it's like the best haunt ever. Incredible. Like the, the show, the show pre-lockdown was so fun. Like it was a really great time. So I, I can't wait to see what, uh, what they and the rest of the team have cooked up. So we're working with them uh, for those October shows and they'll be on sale shortly. Fuck. Hell yeah. Jake, you rule, man. Um, and you fucked up because now I'm going to bug you every time we run into each other. Good. Bug, bug away. You say that now. That's how it I starts. Know. <laughs> That's how it starts.